What a great day, Memorial Day weekend. So I'd like to start with that. My lesson's not based around that, but I do want to honor that because I believe that it is the people that gave the ultimate sacrifice that gave us the freedom to be right here right now. I believe ultimately that comes from God, but I believe that those people are worthy of our respect and of our honor. And I'm not going to ask anybody to stand up, but I would ask you to, to remember someone because everyone's got someone, whether you're related, whether you just knew them, whether you read an article about them, you watched a movie about them maybe. Remember them. And praise God for them. So, speaking of God, let's talk about him today a little bit. Um, in, in preparation and actually in pre-preparation, which is kind of a fun thing that the Holy Spirit does to you is he gets you ready for things, sometimes before you even know those things are coming. And he did that to me. Before um, Don called and asked if I could speak today, he, um, he the Holy Spirit, was working here. And um, I didn't really know why, because right at first, God gave me a word, one word, and it was zealous. So, he didn't give me the rest of the message at that point. He just gave me that word, zealous. So, you know, I began to kick that around, and I began to think about what does that mean? Who is zealous? What does that look like in the flesh? And um, so I started looking around. And do you know who the most zealous person in the whole wide world is? A keto crossfitter. A keto crossfitter is the most zealous person in the whole world because they will find a way in every conversation to tell you about their diet and about their workout plan. Anybody met someone like this? Listen. Okay, it goes something like this. Hey, Joe, this is my brother Alex. Oh, hey, Alex. I see you're wearing a shirt with a bacon on it. Does that, are you keto? Because I am. I've been keto for six months. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I also started doing CrossFit because I like it and it makes me fit. Hey, guess what? You should come try it out. It's only $150 a month. Come try it. And afterwards, I'll go make you this casserole. It's keto. It's great. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a pretty, good def- a pretty good example of being zealous. That's not exactly the angle I'm going today. But everybody knows that person that's zealous. And no, I'm not keto, but I do really like CrossFit. See, I told you. I told you. We can't help it. Well, that's all fun and games, but really being zealous is what we're going to talk about today. It it really is the root of spreading God's word, is being zealous for God. And in fact, I'm going to focus upon how we be zealous for God and not zealous for our religion. Because there is a clear difference, and we see it all throughout Scripture. But let me finish my, my, my lead-in. Okay, so God gave me the word. He gave me zealous. That's the word. And then, on April 3rd, as it were, I was sitting in my easy chair after the kids were in bed and kind of scrolling through the 700 channels that we have, and none of them have anything on. And I scroll by one that's called the Bible. And I'm thinking, sounds riveting. But I clicked on it right? And I'm watching it. And it really wasn't about what I was watching. It was what about, it was about what God was doing with my heart. Okay. It was a section of the Bible. Some of you've probably watched it. Hollywood does a pretty good job of letting you see scripture lived out. 
Now, I'm not here to discuss whether it's right or wrong or accurate or not. What I'm here to tell you is that God used that moment to change the depth of my spirit. He changed me. He showed me what it looks like to be zealous. He showed me that I was not living a life that was zealous for him. I really didn't tell anybody about this right away, but it made a revolutionary change in my viewpoint. I began looking at the day as, as living for God first and for my job second. I'd not done that before. I always went to work and thought, well, here I am. I'm going to see Ricky today. Hopefully, I get a chance to witness to Ricky today because I'm going to work. Well, it changed. It was more about, I'm going to live for God first and put that in my work. Okay, it changed for me. Maybe that doesn't make sense to you yet, or maybe it does. Maybe you've had a moment like this. I know that for me, it was 33 years into life that my faith gained a new depth. It was at that moment that I looked back and I truly believe that I have been zealous all of my life for the religion that I practice and not so much for the God that I serve. Pray with me. Our Father and our God, you're our Savior, you're our Christ. You are the reason that we are alive and we give you all of that glory. Father, without you in our lives, we are nothing. And God, you've given us the spirit of power and not timidity. And God, help us to use that for you, to use that for our neighbor, God, so that they get to heaven along with us. Because God, we're told that if we believe in you, we get to live with you forever. But God, we shouldn't stop there. We should stop when we get to heaven with as many people as we can bring with us. Father, I pray that this morning that every word that passes my lips passes your throne room first. I pray that your spirit is alive and sweeping through here. And God, I'm not asking that you do that. I know it's already here. I'm asking that we can feel that and feel the change from that. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So what does it look like to be zealous for religion? Paul knows. So if you brought your Bible, go with me to Romans 10. In Romans 10, I'm going to read it to you, so if you didn't bring it, that's okay. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is that the Jewish people might be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Instead, they are clinging to their own ways and getting right with God by trying to keep the law. They won't go along with God's way. For Christ has accomplished the whole purpose of the law. Praise God. All who believe in him are made right with God. Paul knows what it looks like to be in their shoes. Paul was in their shoes before he traveled the road to where? Starts with a D. Damascus. Damascus. Cool. Y'all talk back to me today. There's nothing worse than staring at me like this. Damascus. On the road to Damascus, Paul found who? Bible school answer, Jesus. Yes, he found Jesus. Actually, Jesus found him. Blinded him, said, hey, you're doing it all wrong. You're living the law, which has been perverted by the ways of man. And by the way, there's over 600 of those that you're never going to live up to. Check this out. I sent Jesus and you killed him. But he is risen. He's alive. 
but you're still trying to crucify him every day. Every day you're crucifying him, and you're zealous for that. You are absolutely, absolutely trying to kill off Jesus again and again and again. And guess what? It's time for that to stop. So he knows what it looks like to be zealous for his religious law. He gets that. He was the leader of that bunch. But now the scales have fallen off and he can see. He says that they don't understand God's ways because they are zealous for their own ways. And their way won't work. He knows that now. So how frustrating this must be for him. Oh, they, they want it the way it has always been. Have you ever been resistant to change? Good change? Ever been told by your doctor, hey, you would feel so much better if you did this. And this is not that hard to do, but it's not what you used to do, so you don't do it. We all do that. Turns out that's why they crucified Jesus, because he brought something that was different, that was way better. But they have so many hours into studying this law and trying to live it out, and their whole life's invested in that. Why would they give that up now? No, no, we've worked too hard for this, Jesus. We've worked too hard to to stay on this law. You're not going to come and change that now. So they killed him, they thought. They thought. They thought that God had changed, but it was really them that had changed. It was really them. So their zeal was for the wrong thing. It was for the wrong cause. Their energy was being put towards things that did not advance the kingdom. It advanced their self-esteem. It advanced what they thought to be wisdom, but was more knowledge. And their knowledge was getting in the way of God's wisdom. So we need to be very careful, even today. Are we perfect yet? No. No, we're not perfect yet. But we need to be very careful as we move forward to make sure that what we are doing is what is in here and isn't just what my dad told me to do or my preacher told me to do or what my grandfather told me to do, but it's what my father told me to do. We need to be very careful moving forward in our lives and evaluate that for ourselves. There's a lot of religions, and some of you may have come from these, that they don't really dig in a whole lot here. They listen to people that are supposed to be the ones digging in. Not going to name names, but those are out there. They're real. And guess what? That's what was happening in this religious time period that we're talking about. They listened to the priests, and the priests had their own ideas that they put into the law. And that changed over time and ended up being something that was unattainable and, in fact, was working against the cause of Christ. So there's nothing wrong with tradition. Don't get me wrong. Some of my favorite things in life and my favorite memories come from traditions that we've done, traditions in my life outside of church, at holidays, at Christmas. Who has great memories of family traditions at Christmas? Yeah, almost every single person. Traditions are fine. Traditions are great. There's nothing wrong with them. But traditions become harmful. Listen, they become harmful and even sinful when they are viewed as the law. As part of the world, we must be willing to open our eyes to what is traditional and what is scriptural. What a tragedy it would be if we lost even one soul 
because we portrayed our tradition as our law. What a tragedy that would be. We see it in Scripture time after time. We see it again and again. Paul desperately wanted these people. These were the chosen people. At the beginning of this, he says, Dear brothers, I'm longing for my heart that God, my prayer to God that the Jewish people may be saved. The Jewish people were the chosen ones. And he's now saying that they need to be saved. There's a big change. He understands that the only way to these people's hearts is to show them that the law has been fulfilled through Jesus. Jesus fulfilled it. Now, all the way back to Moses, right? He got the what on the mountain? There are ten of them. Commandments. Yeah. Boom. Ten commandments. Right? Those are still valid. We still live by those. But this law that had to be fulfilled in order to make it to heaven, which couldn't be done, has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Let's get back in the Word. Follow me to John 4. Right at, right at the beginning of John 4, we're going to start in like verse 4. And I'm going to read you a little bit here. This is important. We're going we're gonna to come back and do some recap in a second, but, but uh, you can read along, you can listen. I have the New Living Translation. Okay, listen for a second. John 4, starting in verse 4. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village called Sychar, pronunciation to be determined, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tried for a, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jesus refused to have anything to for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he has and his sons and his cattle have enjoyed? Jesus replied, People soon become thirsty again after drinking this water, but the water I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me some of this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to haul water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim? Yep, pronunciation again. Where our ancestors worship, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father here in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know so little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming and is already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. 
For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I'm going to go a little further. Then Jesus, just then, his disciples arrived. They were astonished to find him talking to a woman, but none of them asked why he was doing it or what they had been discussing. The woman left her water jar beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to eat. No, he said, I have food you don't know about. Who brought it to him? The disciples asked. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Do you think the, harv- the work of the harvest will not begin until the summer ends four months from now? Look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us, and you are ready now for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one person plants and someone else harvests, and it's true. I send you to harvest where you didn't plant, and others had already done the work, and you will gather the harvest. We carry on here, and it talks about the village coming to find Jesus. They come to find Jesus because this woman ran to them and said what she had seen. But let's look at this. Do we see any parallels today? Any cultural divides in our world today? No, no, we're all living in harmony. Everybody's good. Red, yellow, black, and white. When man gets their hands on things, we mess it up real good and real fast. Our religion is influenced by our culture, but our God is not. Our God is not influenced by our culture. We see some culture going on in this story. And I read so long because there's so many parts of that that I want to, I want to, point out. So Jesus, full of zeal for his father's will, completely disregards the culture and reaches out to a child of God. She doesn't know it yet, but she's speaking to the Christ. It says that in there. She believes he's coming, but she doesn't know it's him yet. So in this time, the religious pecking order is not hard to figure out. The Jews are the chosen ones. They're the righteous ones. They're the ones God has saved, and everyone else is outside that box. Now, those of you with the Masters of Divinity, I get it. There's other subcultures, but in a big picture, this is what we're talking about. So what does he do? He asks her for a drink, but in the process of asking her for a drink, he makes her thirsty. He makes her thirsty. He did not make her drink, but he made her want a drink. Jesus is our best example of what being zealous for God versus zealous for religion is. Time after time, we see him standing against what the culture and the religion said was right, disregarding that completely, and they were trying to kill him for it in the meantime, and doing the will of God. How many times has our culture or our religion stopped the word of God from getting where it was supposed to go? How many times have we stopped short because this person's black or they're white or they're brown or they're gay or they're homosexual or they're whatever, because culture says, I don't go there. How many times has God's word been stopped at the threshold because of those barriers? It's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you too, because 
I cut you, you're going to bleed. You're human. But for Jesus, that wasn't an option. For Jesus, he needed to reach that woman, no matter what the barriers were. He focused on God's mission. So let's look at the ripple effect of Jesus following God's will and being zealous the way he was supposed to be. This woman leaves everything. She leaves her jar, her rope, everything, and runs to the village. She's ecstatic, which is kind of like being zealous. She's excited. She knows that she just found the Christ, and she wants everybody to know. Are we doing that? Do we know the Christ? Maybe, maybe don't. I'm shaking my head because I do, but do you? Then, then we need to carry it out there, folks. We need to take it back to our village. She takes it to her village and tells everybody, and guess what? They didn't necessarily take her word for it yet, but they took enough to be thirsty for it, and they went and saw him themselves. They went out there to Jacob's well and found a well that ran so much deeper, the well of living water. And it all began because this woman followed Jesus' example of being zealous and was zealous herself and took it to her people and then brought them back to Christ. And the Bible says many were saved and believed, all beginning with a woman who had had five husbands and was living with another man that was taboo. In this culture today, speaking of culture, that's not that big a deal in our culture, right? Actually, that's pretty normal. But in this culture, no, no, no. You'll see in a minute, in this culture, those women were put to death by religious law. This was a Samaritan woman, though. So her zeal saved the lives of many. So is our world thirsty for a drink? Yes. Our world is thirsty for a drink. Do they know where to go get that drink? Not unless we tell them. That's what Jesus put on us. He gave us the tools. He gave us the power. He gave us the way. But he said, you got to take the steps and bring them back with you. So in every action, if God's kingdom is on our forefront, then we will be living zealous. I said scriptures full of these. Go with me again. Let's go to John 8, just down the road. John 8. I won't read forever this time, I promise. Even though story time is so fun. Who remembers that? Going to the library when they were a kid, and the librarian read them a book. You could poke your friend and not pay attention. Don't do that here. Pay attention. Pay attention. Okay, John 8, starting in 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman they had caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. So they put her kind of where I am. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, stoner, but let those who have never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Jesus stood up again and said to her, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. She's another prime example of the balance. 
not a balance, of the opposition of being zealous for God's will and being zealous for their religion. So which were they? Well, it depends on who we're talking about. The religious leaders were definitely zealous for their law. They said the law of Moses says we need to kill her. Even though they brought this woman there trying to trap Jesus, they're using the law to try to trap him because they think the law is the end of the road and they can't see past that. Just so you know, that part of the, this part of the law is the part that morphed over time and over human influence. Religion, religious law has limitations and is flawed, but God's will is not. Religious law is complex and unattainable, but God's will is not. Religious law condemned this woman to death, but God did not. So what did Jesus do with this mess? Well, I can picture him. He's teaching, and I like to picture my Jesus kind of being chill, right? And he's teaching, and then they come and interrupt him, probably irritated him a little bit. And so we see that he's kind of disregarding them, sort of. But he's, they bring him, and here's this woman, filthy adulteress, just caught in the act, fresh in the act. And they're trying to trap him, and he says, <sighs> and they're talking to him. And, you know, I kind of picture him doing something like this, and they're trying to trap him. And finally he says, you know what? Fine. Stone her. Stone this woman. But whoever has not sinned needs to throw the first one. Kind of drops it. Goes back to his drawing in the dirt and just waits. Doesn't say anything else. Just waits. And they kind of just go away. They're ashamed. They tuck their tail and go. And I love that we get to see Jesus' personality here. Because Jesus is a warrior he is our, our lion, but he does it different than we do. He didn't get up in their face and yell at them and grab them by the shirt and shake them and get all bent out of shape with them. He just said what he needed to say and then was quiet. He didn't interject anything but what God's will needed to interject. They just slipped away. Their zeal was for religious law. They were trying to kill him. His will was for God. His was for truth. His was for love. His was for redemption. He knew that this woman could be forgiven and that she could be forgiven and then go be a warrior for his way, the way. Look at what happened to Paul. He became a warrior for the way after God gave him the chance. He knew that this was an opportunity, and we have that opportunity. What power and boldness he shows us here. Boldness that we stand against what is wrong, and he does the rest. We don't have to get up in arms. We can just stand for what's right against what our culture or our religious background says. If it's in the word, it's right. If it's derived from here and then altered, that's wrong. Bold move, Jesus. So if we believe in Jesus and call ourselves followers of him, then why in the heck are we still throwing rocks? Let's not fool ourselves. We overlook acceptable sin and we crucify unacceptable sin to this day. How many people have been hurt by words coming, from, coming at you like stones? Words of judgment, words of separation, words of ousting. We stand so many times and speak up against adultery, abortion, homosexuality, while we let our brothers live in sin right next to us of coveting and lusting and gluttony. There's no difference. Sin is sin. 
Why do we have acceptable sins and unacceptable sins? This is not zeal for Christ. This is zeal for our own agenda. This is zeal for what we want the church to look like. Religious leaders did that. They tried it. It doesn't work. Let's not do that. Hear me clearly. I have thrown stones. I have had stones thrown at me. But Jesus didn't throw stones. He threw love and acceptance and redemption. He comes to us where we are and stays with us until all the accusers have gone. This is the difference between being zealous for religion and being zealous for God. Jesus was the change the world was looking for then, but they didn't know it. Maybe the Samaritans knew it better than the Jews because the Jews were so close to their law. And the Samaritans were outside of that. But even the Samaritan woman knew the Messiah was coming. And guess what? When he came to her, she did what? Accepted him. She accepted that he was the Christ. When the Christ came to the Jews, what'd they do? Killed him. It's all about what's blinding our focus. And if our focus is on our religious beliefs, and those don't line up with what's in here, we're going to miss the mark. So here's the challenge. Live a life so zealous to God that others cannot resist to find where they can get some. But do your own checking. Make sure what you believe is in this book. Make sure what you believe lines up with the Holy Spirit's prompting. Make sure what you believe is not because someone else told you to believe that or because it lines up with what you want or what you've done and you try to justify that. They tried it. It doesn't work. God has big plans for us, really big plans for us that are impossible until we accept his help. So here's the good news. In your study, if you should find that you have been living outside of the truth, God is ready to redeem you. He stands ready to be your redemption and to make your mess into a masterpiece. He's going to walk with you as you do that. Our God, he turns graves into gardens. He turns mourning to dancing, and he's the only one who can do that. As we worship now, give him your dirty laundry. Watch what he can give you in return. If you're ready to live a life zealous for God and have not accepted him as your Savior, there is no better time than now. Come find me. Find your neighbor. Find an elder. Find someone and tell them. There's nowhere in here that says you have to walk down front, but it does say you need to proclaim with your lips that he is Lord and then be baptized. Join me in this worship.